orders for a while now, and today we are doing a bit of a review on it. And so, um, we are going to actually pass out some participant guides that you will need this morning. So the ushers are coming along with some guides, and you can put your name at the top. And um, if you need a pen, they've got some pens and pencils as well. And as they're passing it out, I'll just get started with what we're talking about here. So um, we live in something that has been described as the information age. There is more information at the tips of our fingers today than previous generations have imagined to be possible. So I said, hey, Google, how much information can I access presently? And Google did me a favor and gave me stats from 2004. So in 2004, it was estimated that the world's information storage was five zettabytes. What is that? So if you took a book and stacked it, and made a stack all the way to the sun, and then you did that 4,500 times, that is five zettabytes of information. There is an incredible, incredible amount of information at our fingers. But what do we do with all of that information in our life? I want to introduce you to a new phrase this morning. That phrase is called slacktivism. Now, slacktivism, as described by dictionary.com, is the practice of supporting a political or social cause by means such as social media or online petitions, characterized as involving very little effort or commitment. So if you read about a cause that touches your heart and it touches you, so maybe you click it and say that you like it or you share it, and in your mind, if you're a slacktivist, you've done your part. You've helped the cause along. But in reality, you've given very little effort to, um, to the cause. And I was wondering, is there maybe a Christian version of slacktivism where we hear a great message or we read something that's really life-changing and good and we agree with it in our minds and we say, that's right. But then we don't take the necessary steps to live out that truth. For example, have you ever learned um, something just wonderful in a sermon and then forgotten about it within a month, and it really didn't make any change in your life. <laughs> I know I have. I do that all the time. I read things, and it impacts me in that moment, but then I don't do anything with it. I'm a slacktivist at times. And I don't want for that sort of a thing to happen with this really critical and important series that we are in the middle of right now. I want to be able to actually live out these messages and let this truth be um, broadcast through my life I want that for our entire church as well. So this is not going to be a typical sermon today. Instead of presenting all new material, I'm going to go through the old surveys that we've done, and each sermon we're going to review and say, do you remember what happened then? Have you acted on it? That sort of a thing. And the goal, of course, is to say we want to apply these truths. We don't want to just be hearers of God's word. We want to be doers of God's word as well. So the series is called Marching Orders. Um, the idea is that these are our marching orders as a church. And who is the one calling the shots? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. We want to do exactly what he is telling us to do. Um, nothing less and nothing more. And so we're going to go forward in this amazing unity and this amazing strength and power if we are all doing our part um, in obeying his marching orders. And of course as the Holy Spirit gives us his grace and his power to do that. 
So the first message that was a part of the series was actually titled, uh, What's Your Purpose, Part A? But for today's purpose, I'm going to call it Glorify God, because that's really um, what the theme's about. Um, then I just want to do a quick overview. The, the messages are Glorify God, Enjoy Him Forever, Introduce People to Jesus, Fully Devoted Followers, The Great Commandment, and The Great Commission, which is actually intended to be today's message, um, but this is more of a review, so it'll be in there as well at the end. So, what's my purpose is a question that we should all know the answer to in life. It would be terrible to go through life without knowing a purpose. We believe that our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, I want to review the main point from this message. Uh, this is a quote from Pastor Kent. The Bible clearly tells us that God created us to glorify Him. And we are commanded to glorify God in everything we do to fulfill our purpose. Uh, do you remember this message? It was on September 15th. And during that message, if you remember it, you remember there was a video that we watched. Um, it was, the question was asked to a whole different amount of people on the streets, and we said to them, what is your purpose in the video? And they came back with all sorts of answers, and not very many of them had a real good bead on what their purpose is in life. Since that time, I hope that we've all had a chance to think through the question, what's your purpose? And so I have a new question for us this morning. Are you living your life on purpose? So 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, in, do everything for God's glory. Every single thing. An application that we could take from this is that we should act in a way that causes others to give glory to God. Now, this, this next bit here was not in that sermon. This was actually from the city on a hill, but I think it complements it nicely. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said to those who were listening to his message that day, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. A really, really good picture Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if you're my follower, if you've been forgiven of your sins, and you've got this amazing gift of life in you, and you've got the truth of Jesus Christ in your life, and you know, you know what God's got, that should be on full display in your life. It should just be shining. And it would be a really unintelligent move if you had a light in your house and you threw a blanket over it or a basket, and you, like, light's intended to shine. In the same way, your life as a follower of Christ is intended to shine. But D Jesus didn't just say it to you. He said it to the you. It's a collective you. So we individually have a responsibility to shine with God's light, but we also collectively, as a church, we want to do these things together in unity so that as a whole, we are shining God's light through the way that we act. So here's an, an action step you could take this week. Consider the next six days of your life. Do you want for those days to have purpose? I'm sure you do. If yes, write down one or two things that you can work towards that will help others to give glory to God. I will give you 30 seconds right now.
let's review what's my purpose part B, which was the second part of that phrase. Um, our chief goal is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We want to enjoy God. Our purpose combines glory and, and joy together. Our highest purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him. So the main point of that message was that giving glory, praise to God, completes the enjoyment. And C.S. Lewis had a, a really helpful quote for that. Um, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. You know, Jesus lives to glorify God. And Jesus is full of joy. During his time on earth, and even now as he rules everything, Jesus does everything for the glory of God the Father. Listen to this prayer that he prayed in John 12, 28. Just a verse from it. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. When I think about Jesus, I consider that everything about him shone. He stood out from culture. Um, his, his love, the way that he loved, how it was expressed, it was revolutionary. The way that he taught, authoritative in a new way, and so life-giving. There was such truth in it. His greatness was found in that he came to be the servant of all. He came on a mission to seek and to save the lost, and not to take um, the authority he could have as God and dominate people, but he came to lift people up and show them God's love and to be a servant. His entire being shone with God's glory. Um, and he's described as having the radiance of the glory of God. If you are a follower of Christ, you want to live in such a way that you are alive with God's goodness, with this joy as well. A joy-filled life because it's lived in the freedom of Jesus, who has forgiven you of your sin, made you alive in a way that's possible through no one else but Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. We've got Jesus. There's such joy that's part of us, such truth and light that's in our lives. Um, let's enjoy God. Here's a possible application we could take. If you are to see something glorious, it follows that you're going to want to express the glory of that thing that you've seen or experienced. So as we express God's glory and goodness, and character, and who God is, and his salvation, we're enjoying God. That joy is being made complete as we express our praise and our joy to God. And we can do this as we sing, as we pray, as we talk with others about the goodness of God, um, as, as we share God's truth with other people. We can enjoy God as we are at work, and we can celebrate God. We experience God's goodness only through Jesus Christ. So, Here's an action you could take this week. Dedicate some time. Take some time on your calendar and use that time for the sole purpose of expressing God's goodness. And here are some ways you might do that. You could do it by writing something out in a journal. Maybe you're a writer and you just like to express yourself through written word. Uh, maybe you're a singer. You want to write a song or play your instrument to a song. Maybe you want to just grab one of the songs that our church sings off of, of YouTube and just sing it along to God. 
Um, maybe you're a dancer. David danced for joy to the Lord. You could dance for joy as well. Um, maybe a good thing to do would just be to make a list and write out all the ways that God has blessed you and that you see him at work in the world and express your joy that way. Um, maybe you could share with someone else the joy that you have in Christ and say what good things God has done through giving a testimony. Or you could come up with your own. But why don't you pick one or two of those things and maybe there's a time this week or the next where you can just dedicate a chunk of time to enjoying God. I will give you some time on the clock once again to maybe think through what the way you might want to do that. It says 30 seconds. I'll probably only give you 10. All right. Follow that message up with one that was all about introducing people to Jesus. The main point of that, um, as Kent shared with us, Pastor Kent shared, is that introducing people to Jesus is a significant component of your and my marching orders. It is one of the ways that we glorify God. And we were introduced to Andrew, who would become one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and Andrew was eager to introduce his brother, Peter, to Jesus. A really good example. Why was Andrew so eager? Why should we be eager to introduce people to Jesus? Well, let's look in John 1, verses 40 and 41. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. Why was Andrew eager? He had found the Messiah. Israelites had been waiting for centuries for God's promised Messiah, the one who would give them freedom, the one who would connect them to God. He had this certain enthusiasm that he carried with him for the rest of his life to introduce people to Jesus and his saving power. So do a little bit of self-evaluation here. Rate your enthusiasm on a scale of 1 to 10 for introducing people to Jesus. One is no enthusiasm. Ten is an Andrew level of enthusiasm. You've got a place you can mark it on the sheet there. Okay, and if you want, show me on your fingers what numbers did you give? What, what's your rating symbol that you gave for enthusiasm to introduce people to Jesus? I see some responses. What can you think this morning? Thank you for showing me. You know, there are certainly some risks associated with telling other people about Jesus, and we know that. Um, when you tell a friend about Jesus, maybe you think, this might damage my reputation of how somebody thinks about me. Maybe you think, well, this is going to change the friendship forever. It's going to maybe not ever be how it was if I do this. Um, maybe you think, what if I strike out? What if this goes really poorly? And maybe that's a reason why you're hesitant to want to introduce people to Jesus. But God has given us marching orders. He has called us to obey him. He has called us to trust him. And so we don't get to use these risks as reasons for disobeying God. Uh, some of you might have heard about a man named Ken Gillette before. The way you probably would have heard of him is he is in a magician um, group called Penn and Teller. And Penn Gillette is also an atheist. But I was able to find a little video of him online. 
And he's telling a story about somebody who wanted to introduce him to Jesus. And uh, there's a summary of it that I found as well on churchpop.com. And on there we find that, that Gillette actually recorded this short video. It's like a little vlog he does, talking into a camera, about someone who came up to him after a show. And he had, this person who came up to him was in the show the day before and was given one of the props from the show. He won some sort of audience participation part. And he comes back, and after the show, he's waiting to talk to, um, to Penn Gillette. And finally, it gets to be his turn, Penn goes over to him, and the man pulls out a small Bible. And he says, I want for you to have this Bible. And in the Bible, a Bible with just the New Testament and the Psalms, and the man says to him, like he was really complimentary, he said how much he enjoyed the show, and um, he said, listen, I just I want to share with you about Jesus. And he put, his, he put his name in there and some phone numbers and some ways to get a hold of him. And that was that. And then he was off on his way. But this, this um, interaction really affected Penn. And you can see on the video, he, he's wiping his eyes here and there. And he says, you know, I still don't believe about God, but that was a good man. He keeps on saying it over and over again. That was just a really, really good man is what he said. And then... Um, this is, this is um, what I want to share with you from that interview. I've always said, Gillette explained, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And then he says, and here's a quote, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? A strong message from him. What's an application? Introducing people to Jesus is a responsibility and a joy that all Christians have. It's not up to us, it's not up to you to change somebody's mind. We, we aren't able to change hearts. That's up to God. But we need to be willing to share with them about Jesus and trust God that he is sovereign overall. So the action step that I'm going to ask you to take in a way to apply this, deal with your excuses today, your, your reasons for not obeying. Deal with those. For example, if you say that you have no training, then go resource yourself. We're living in the information age. There's all sorts of training. And I'd love to help um, send you on your way with some training as well. Um, if you say that you don't know people who aren't Christians, so there's no one to share with, make a plan to get to know some people. If you say that you aren't confident, we'll start practicing. Get some friends together. Have practice sessions. If you say that your heart is cold and you really have no motivation for this, start praying and get some people to pray with you. God has given us the responsibility and the joy. We get to share Jesus with people. Introduce them to the way and the truth and the life. God bless us to do this by his grace. The next message that we had was called Fully Devoted Follower. You know, our church mission is to introduce people to Jesus and together become fully devoted followers. The main point of that message was that there are many people who identify with Jesus. They would agree that he's good. They might even agree that he's God. But he wants more than just mental agreement or that sort of thing. He is calling, he is even demanding for people to be fully devoted followers in every single part of who we are. He wants all of us. 
Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So following Jesus is a daily recommitment to live the whole of your life in his service. Day by day by day. Jesus, help me to serve you today. I give my life to you today, Jesus. And as a quick recap, there's some different responses that we saw for, that people had when Jesus said, follow me. One of them was a response of security. There were some who chose security over Jesus. Because following Jesus does not guarantee you safety on this earth. Following Jesus is not a contract where once you follow God, only good things happen. And once the good things start, stop happening, you can leave. You must choose to follow Jesus over top of safety and security. A second is that in the response to following Jesus, we would see him as just one of many good priorities in life. This is when people agree that Jesus is good, but they do not give him priority in their life as their king. You want Jesus, you agree, you want his influence and his goodness in your life, but there's other things you also want. And so there's a list of priorities where Jesus is not at the top. And that attitude is revealed in what you give priority to, in what you find the bulk of your energy and resource going towards. But a fully devoted follower gives top priority to Jesus which is the third response. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. This is the one who chooses day by day, I want to follow Jesus. And this person wants to learn the truth that Jesus taught, wants to be in a healthy relationship with God, and wants to be a part of his mission here on the earth. You know, there's a hymn you might have sung before, you might know it, it's called, I Surrender All. And I think that this hymn would give us a decent thing to think about and, and pray that would help us to focus on this truth. So here's an action step that you could take. Would you consider starting off each day for a week by praying the words of this hymn? I'll remind you of what they are. You can even pray along right now if you want. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. That would be a decent way to start each day, wouldn't it? Okay, moving along. Just, just last week, we heard a sermon preached called The Great Commandment. And the main point of that one is that the Great Commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. It's taken from Mark 12, 29 to 31. This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. And what is novel about these two commands, is that Jesus connects them together. It's easy to say that we love God who we cannot see. It takes more of a sacrifice and a cost to demonstrate love to our neighbors. Being a Christian has a huge effect on the people around you, the people you come into contact with in your life. 
Loving God means that you will live out his love to those that you meet and interact with. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan maybe is one that you're already familiar with. It's in, found in Luke chapter 10, a story that Jesus tells to help his audience know how to be a loving neighbor. And it's interesting because right before that story, he actually quotes um, that great commandment again. And so in that story, a Jewish man travels from Jerusalem to Jericho, falls into the hands of robbers. He's left for dead on the side of the road, really with very little hope. Then two men, one after the other, find this man in his wretched condition. Um, And each one of those two men was actually vocationally paid to show God's kindness and love. It, It was a priest and then it was a Levite. It seems like a sure thing where they would help. But in Jesus' parable, they avoid the man. And the third to come upon the scene was one who was the most unlikely to show the love, a Samaritan. And the Jews and Samaritans really despised one another at this point in history when Jesus told the story. Yet it was the Samaritan who showed the mercy, who paid the cost to see this man helped and saved from his situation. In verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, he asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. How can we apply this? Love God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe here's an action that you could um, take part in. Reflect on the grace that God has shown to you. Think about the mercy that you have received from God himself. Consider, you were the stranger on the road in that story, left in a wretched condition because of sin, because because we're hopeless without God's help. But Jesus is the one who has sacrificed everything he has to save us. God, in his great mercy, has saved us from our sin. He has made us right. So one thing we can do for an action is that we can be like that. Uh, There's a phrase that we use quite a bit in our youth group, and I want to introduce you to it as well. It is this, pay attention and show compassion. And so paying attention means that as you go through life, your eyes are open to what is going on around you. And you, you see people who are hurting. There might be people who are hurting here this morning. Pay attention. Look around. See how you can be helpful. But it's not enough to only pay attention we must also show compassion, demonstrate that love. See a need and meet a need. Okay, the Great Commission is the message that I'm not sure I can get out in two minutes. And so I'll I'll have to do a bit of um, a quick overview. I hope for most of us the Great Commission is a reminder because it's one of those verses that for a church and for Christians, we really ought to have really, really down well. It's an important, important verse. Um, it's found in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and I'll read those verses. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Jesus has all the authority when he gives his commands. And one way when we hear that, if Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth, and he is commanding his followers to do this, we really can't say no. He's the one with the authority. In the other sense, Jesus is giving us his authority to carry forward this mission. Sovereign God is here to help us make disciples. As you aim and make it your goal to make disciples, from my experience, I know that God blesses that. I know that makes God very pleased. And so any effort that is put into discipleship, I am very accustomed to seeing God put his blessing and his favor on that. Teaching them what I have commanded you. You know, we learn what Jesus taught, and that takes effort to learn what Jesus taught. But we do our study, and and we read our Bibles so we can learn what Jesus taught in order that we can live what Jesus taught so that we can teach what Jesus taught. It's much easier to teach what we know about Christ if we're living out those truths, not if we're just reciting information. We want to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are not our disciples. They are disciples of Jesus. And so when a person is baptized, they are identifying. They're being identified as someone who belongs to the triune God. His name is on their lives, the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, baptism and salvation are not the same. They are different. But baptism is incredibly important. Jesus has included baptism in his great commission. He commands us to baptize people. And if you are not yet baptized, maybe the most important action step that you can take today is to sign up to be baptized. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Maybe the part we overlook the most, the going. We're good with the teaching. We're Baptists. We enjoy the baptism. But what we need to add to that potent mix is the going. Going with intention. Um... A helpful way for you to think about this is to, to realize that it's, it could be thought of like this. As you go, make disciples. As you go to work this week, look for opportunities to make disciples. As you go to school, if you're still in school. As you go grocery shopping, look for opportunities to make disciples. As you go to make music. As you go to, to tuck people into bed at night. As you're going out with friends, make disciples. As you go to the hospital, Make disciples. As you go and seek help, make disciples. As you walk down the road, look for opportunities to make disciples. As you go throughout your life, make disciples. Talk about Jesus where you go. And you can talk about his ideas. You can talk about what Jesus has taught you, what you're learning. You, you can talk about what it means to trust him, what it means to put his actions and his words into effect in your life. But talk about Jesus. Invite people to learn more. And do this everywhere that you go. So, slacktivism will not result in this church shining for God. It's not enough just for us to hear good information. We need to process it, understand what it means for our lives, and live out those truths. When we become doers of the word, by the grace of God, we will collectively shine so that everyone can see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So the final exercise that I have for us today is going to happen with a song. So we've got some musicians with us this morning who are going to come on up. And the song that they're going to play is a 